Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Uh, when when Pastor uh, asked me to speak, he gave me a few options, and one of them was, uh, one of the three options was missions. And um, I'm passionate about missions, so I took up that, that one. Uh, Sunday night, if you weren't here, we had a great time talking about what God's been doing around the world in Peru, and uh, we had a wonderful time just looking at some of the photos and, and just really absorbing the impact that Glen Meadows has around the world. Not just San Angelo, but you here today have an impact around the world on what God's doing. You're a part of God's mission and His plan. So as I was thinking about what I would share about, uh, what hit me was I really didn't get to break down the passage that we talked about Sunday night on the Good Samaritan. And so I thought today, this morning, that we would crack that open. You see, today, America is full of charities, full of benevolent options that we, at any point, could think of any charity that we want. And if you go on Google, the odds are you're going to find it and you will be able to support whatever that charity or whatever that that benevolent program is. We're full of opportunities in America today to be able to be a part of uh, contributing to the needs that are out there in the world. But the question today is, is that the purpose? Or is the purpose a little deeper than that? I pose the answer to the question that the answer is a little deeper than just doing a good thing. I think it's more about being on mission with God's design for His kingdom. We've watched, even within our own lifetimes, men who have been on mission, who had compassion like the Samaritan did. One of the, one of the good, best Christian movies that I've seen out there, there are a few, but one of them was Into the Spear. And it had to do with Jim Elliott and four other men as they flew into the Amazon and met with a tribe over and over again, uh, exchanging gifts until the final trip, they were martyred for their faith in Christ. That really wasn't, for me, the pinnacle of the story. The pinnacle of that story was the compassion and love that Jim's family had for the tribe after his death. The heroes were the ones that went in afterwards and led that tribe to Christ. I don't know if I could. Matter of fact, here's what a U.S. Today reporter said about that action. He said he could forgive the person who killed the the five men, maybe, but love him, that's just morbid. Here's what Steve, Jim's son, responded with. Yeah, that relationship doesn't make sense until you put God into the equation. Today, let's put God into the equation. Let's look at the, the story of the Good Samaritan and see, God, what exactly are you asking of us? In the world today. Bear with me as I read uh, uh, verses 25 through 37, but I just want to give context to the story before we begin. 
Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you whatever extra you spend." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. There's a lot in this story as we read it today. There's a lot in the story. Let's glean from this story. Who are we? Who have we been? Who are we today, and who is God calling us to be tomorrow? So let's start back at verse 25, and then it says, uh, in verse 25 it says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Three things I highlighted in this verse. And first is an expert in the law. Uh, lawyers are, are needed in our uh, country today. Um, it's a profession that is respectable. If you've ever sat in court, uh, I used to be a bailiff, and I learned one thing about lawyers, they pay very close attention to every question that they ask, very specific. As a matter of fact, they'll hold the person on the stand to answer the question just as they asked it. They pay attention to everything. So here we have a man who is an expert in the law, it means he knows what he's doing. They he sits and he, and he stood up to test him. So the next thing we want to put in context with this story was this wasn't a genuine heartfelt question that this man was bringing to Jesus. He was actually testing Jesus. Uh, I, I, I was uh, told as a kid there was no uh, such thing as a stupid question. Um, okay, th that's true. But I do think I could say it's really not smart to test or question God. So if I was smarter when I was young, and trust me, I was not smart when I was young, I would have said, um, except when you're questioning God, that's a really dumb question. We have the, the expert in the law asking this question to Jesus with the point not from the heart. And then it says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And you know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, for you are saved by grace through faith, 
And this is from, not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. What we can do to inherit eternal life is simply to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, and then we will be saved. We are saved by faith and grace and nothing more or less. So there's a few things to the answer that we're going to watch as Jesus unfolds. And again, I wrote down here, he is the master of everything. And when it comes to debating, when you want to have a good time, read God's word and see how, how absolutely sovereign he is in his responses. Because if you really look at it, it really is just dumbfounding. So we come and Jesus starts off with this question. He says, what is written in the law? Okay, uh, as I was preparing, it's kind of an already genius question because uh, more often than not, experts in the law or, or uh, religious individuals in that time had a thing called a phylactery, and it was a box that contained scriptures in it. So Jesus is looking at him saying, what's written in the law? So, so already he knows, hey, you, you've got the answer right there on your body. <laughs> And, and he asked him, how do you read it? So, so, so the next thing is, how do you read it? Like, okay, what is written in the law and how do you read it? So he's saying right here, he goes, let's talk about what you yourself already know. And he's bringing back into, let me answer you from God's word. See, Jesus is masterful. He's supreme. He's God. And he begins to answer that question. Within the answer of the question are the actual, more than likely, the actual scriptures that he answers them with. Deuteronomy 6. You see, not only is he bringing back to you, you should know the answer, you have the answer, and you actually have those actual scriptures written in on your body. So the question you are asking me, the answer already resides with you. So let's talk about that. So he answered him. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. The first thing is this, it's the answer was to the question, what must I do to have eternal life? The answer is love. Love God with every fiber in your being. And I was reading this, love him with everything. I'm like... Love, love God with all that I am. He's, he, he, is, he loves me. He's personal. He cares for each one of you. We, we, we had a, a, a memorial service this, this week. And it was, whenever you do a memorial service of somebody whose life absolutely reflected Christ, it, it, I won't say it, it's more enjoyable. We're never sad to, 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 to do a memorial service, but there's something different when you're honoring someone whose walk mirrored the walk of a Christian life. Isn't that, isn't that true? And um, we, were, we, we typically read some verses, and one of them talks about God uh, wiping away our tears. And it hit me different this week than it ever has because I started thinking about that. You, you, you see, I'm not going to, it doesn't say that it's just magically gone. But I remember growing up looking at my dad's hands. And, and now I look at my hands and my hands look a lot like my dad's. But I, I remember growing up crying 
And I remember dad coming in and wiping the tears. Just, I was thinking about this. Love the Lord your God with every fiber in your being. Because to each one of you, he loves you. He is personal. And he will wipe the tears from your eyes. That meant something totally different to me for the rest of my life. I'll always think of how much God loves me that he will come in and wipe the tears from my eyes. And he says, and your neighbor is yourself. Jesus responded back to him and said, you've answered correctly. He told them, do this and you will live. Okay. Okay. So if I'm dumb enough to test God uh, with some questions that I think are pretty smart, and I get past the first stage and get it right, I promise you, it, I'm, I'm grabbing the money on the table and I'm running. I am not betting again. I am not doubling down. I mean, so, so I find some humor in this because it's like, hey, hey bro, you just, hey, <laughs> you're one of the very rare ones who actually asked Jesus a question. And it's like, okay, do this and you will live. Man, I'm running. He, he, he's not done Be, because he's an expert in the law and he's there for wrong motives. So wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now we get to the meat of the story. Why? Because in the story that Jesus begins to tell him is a roadmap for us today. I had to ask some hard questions of myself. As I'm preparing this week, I asked myself, when have I been one to pass by? I'll explain what that means. So as we move into verse 30, Jesus took up the question and said to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him for half dead. Now, as we read this story, one thing I, I recognized is that Jesus is not leaving any room for interpretation in this story. The story is extreme on every end because the, Christ is making a, a absolute direct point back to the lawyer. And now keep in mind the question as we go. The question now has changed, right, or has been followed up with, who is my neighbor? Who is our neighbor, Glenn Meadows? A priest happened to be going down that road when he saw him. He passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. So here's what we know. Uh, we know this, that, that the most likely people who should have stopped and cared for this man would be men of God. It's pretty fair. So, some of the, uh, the research done pointed out that there's not much we could, we could uh, add to this. We can only assume. So let's not add to it. Let's not assume. Let's just say this. They were men of God with a responsibility to care for the flock. It's extreme. Jesus picked the people who should have stopped in the story. Who are we? We are a church mandated with the Great Commission. No one is off the hook. Our job is to stop. 
What are some excuses that I might have? I ask the question. Time. Here's a terrible excuse. I'm too busy doing God's work. I've told this story before, I think. But uh, the older I get, the, the worse my memory is, so I thought I'd tell it again. If I've told it again, just chalk it off as, uh, I'm losing my mind. Um, and it's a personal story. It's a story about a neighbor. Uh, I, got, I got on staff for the first time at a church, and I had a neighbor. His name was John. John had retired from the transportation department in North Idaho. Nice guy. My, uh, the kids, our kids were young, and uh, he would be out mowing the lawn. Our kids would take him water. He was a good neighbor. Um, uh, quiet, and he had a motorcycle. Um, one day on the way to church, we were late, and it was in November. And Crystal says, uh, can we stop and invite John to Thanksgiving? Anybody else A-type? Guys, point A, point B? Like, have you seen that, that thing on Facebook where it says, this is a man's journey to the grocery store, walks in, grabs the milk, walks back out. This is a woman's journey. So when Crystal says, uh, let's stop, <laughs> my first response is, <laughs> I don't stop for no one. And I didn't. I said, we'll do it tomorrow. And we went to church. After all, I had a place to be. Um, I didn't have tomorrow. John killed himself. Sear that into your mind that I will live with. I'll stop. Now anytime my wife asks me to stop, I promise you I listen. But I think about the priest and the Levite, and when I ask the question to myself, have I ever passed someone in need by yes I have. I have. Have I ever stopped by at a stop sign with someone holding a sign, we'll work for food, and thought they're just going to buy it on booze and kept going? Can't say the thought hasn't gone through my mind. I guess I'm going to keep confessing until I get pulled in the personnel committee meeting tonight. Have I ever been selfish and just flat didn't want to? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the priest and the Levite were thinking. We don't know. But I can tell you this. That's not the point. The point is, ask the question to yourself. If it's true that his word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. If that's true, that means every time we read God's word, it should pierce to us. So the question to you today is, have you ever been a priest or a Levite? I would pose to say at one point in our lives, we've all found ourselves guilty. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. There we go. Christ is extreme again. What do I mean by that? Uh, he didn't say a guy because he just said, you know, Eddie stopped to care for him, but he didn't. He picked a Samaritan. What point is he making there? 
the least likely. You see, the Samaritans and the Jews, uh, we, we would say uh, they, they, they probably didn't have the, the best relationship. As a matter of fact, it was toxic. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Uh, they, were, they were disgusting in the Jews' eyes. As a matter of fact, uh, one commentator, he, he put it uh, well. I paraphrased, so here's what I wrote. I wrote, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans is so toxic that it would be likely that the injured man who got better, it, it would not be unlikely at all for him to not even say thank you and just push that, the good Samaritan away and go about his life without even gratitude. That's the measure of the toxicity that could exist between Samaritans and Jews. Remember the question, who's my neighbor? You see where Jesus is headed? He's going he's gonna to definitively answer the question and slam the gavel down, case closed. That's what he's doing. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Here's the answer to us on how we are to respond to a world that is lost and dying and in need. If we want to know what that roadmap looks like, here it is. Here it is. The most unlikely man is showing us the roadmap for how we are to love our neighbors. And the question is, who is our neighbor? And definitively, it is anybody in need within the world today. Compassion leads to action. True compassion, true love leads to action. He walks over first and he bandages the wounds. Let's, let's say this, that to, to, to tell someone that, that we're praying for them, knowing that they're in need, it is, a, is a good thing and we should pray. We believe in power for living, prayer, obedience, the word, exalting the Father, relationships, fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. But to tell them we're praying for them and to show them who Christ is comes out of our hearts in serving those that are in need. And now we have a, a, this, this spot where he walks over and, and he looks at the man and he had money. We're going to see that later on in the story. It could have been a very closed shut case, but no, he gets down and he bandages his wounds and he pours wine and olive oil on him. He's showing us here that love or compassion must not just be said, it must be conveyed. It's who, what Jesus did with the disciples in John 13. What do I mean by that? He got on his hands and knees and he washed their feet. And he said, now you go and do the same thing. He's saying our job is to be servants to those around us in the world today. The early church did the same thing in Nero and Rome and all the things that were happening. What did the early church do? They went into action in the face of persecution and reflected Christ and cared for those in need, no matter who they were. They understood. We have a lot of reasons why we shouldn't. But we have the most important reason why we should. And then it goes on to say, then he put him on his own animal. So he gave up what? What compassion and love is the giving up of our own comfort. <laughs> My son needed to be somewhere. And... Uh, My donkey has 103 cc's. 
And you should have seen the look on his eyes when I flipped him the keys. You're letting me? Well, what are you going to do? I'll be fine. Are we willing to do that for someone in need? Are we willing to give up the things of comfort for us? It's way more. It's way more than just writing a check. He gave up his comfort, and he wasn't looking for anything in return. He brought him to an end. And then he says this, at the end, he took care of him. Then he says to the innkeeper, he gives him two denarii. Now that's 24 to 48, as we said this Sunday night, a day's worth of room and board. First thing I'm thinking is he must have been really beat up. Gives it to the innkeeper and says, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you whatever extra you spend. You see, God's not just calling us to love our neighbors. Let me rephrase that. In God's definition of calling us to love our neighbors, he's calling us to go an extra mile. He's calling us to go one step further. And when we go one step further, take one more step. And we take another step, take another step. At any point in the game, this Samaritan or this story that Christ is telling with extremes of every example, they could have ended and we would have said that was a good story. But Jesus kept going and kept going and kept going. Put him on his donkey, took him to the end, the end. No, didn't. Paid for the, paid for the room, the end. Nope. Went away, planned on coming back, the end. Nope and cover all the expenses accrued. Extra mile? In more ways than one, he went the extra mile. He said, I'll be back. There's thousands in San Angelo who don't know Christ. Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. Well, this is where he got smart. There's no more to the story. <laughs> I wonder, wonder what went through. We don't know, but what went through that lawyer's mind? I wonder if he chewed on every minute of that parable. Because he definitely walked away with an understanding is everyone's my neighbor. There's no limits to how far I should go. I must absolutely give everything I have. What would it be like if the church today, all of us, gave every ounce of effort we had to impacting San Angelo? I think it would be pretty cool. And here's the message. Give everything. You, 
conversations about how much we should tithe. Let's not talk about money. Give them everything. Give them your time. Give them your efforts. Give them your love. Proclaim his good news. He didn't want a fraction of the church. He calls for a sold-out church. That's what he's asking for. I had an opportunity a couple weeks ago in conclusion. I had an opportunity to go to, uh, across the border to see it at Acuna. And uh, God really opened my eyes because when we got there, across the border on the Mexico side, waiting to come into America legally and do it right, were, were those refugees. I'd say about four to 500 people. And man, all, all the political thoughts and views, I'm not about that. I tend to agree with the majority of Glen Meadows. But when I got there, God showed me some people. We, we pull in and I meet a Cuban family. And we're talking to them. How many of you started off? 25. But only eight of us lived. They continued to share their story. Went to the next refugee area. They all are in, in pockets. So Cubans with Cubans, Haitians with Haitians. Here, here's what I didn't expect. Africa. They're coming from all over the world. Uh, as I share the story, most people uh, tell me that they expected just South America. I found a, an African lady, and she uh, spoke English, and she was actually had been to where I was a missionary kid to. So we talked for a while. And I said, how did you get here? Well, Istanbul, Turkey, a boat to to uh, Argentina and then walked and whenever she could get a free ride, she got a ride all the way to Mexico. So as soon as she said walked, I'm nosy. I looked at her feet. <laughs> she walked. Oh, she walked. And I made a dumb comment, which is not unusual for me. And I said, man, I go, that, that's crazy that the only hope you have is coming here to America. And she's just Fingers straight up. Wait. I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, I didn't have hope in Africa. I didn't have hope on the way here. And I still don't have hope. I came because I had nothing and I had no reason not to. She's my neighbor. I, 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 I don't get to stand before Christ one day and, and give him all the reasons why she shouldn't be. Before asking her about her, her relationship with Christ, I asked if we could pray. Chills ran down my back, my bald spot on my head, everything. When she started praying with me, it was obvious she had a relationship with Christ. Who's your neighbor? 
careful. You don't want to be like me. You don't want to live the rest of your life with John on your mind. But I promise you, I've lived differently. Yesterday don't matter. We learn from it. You have today, you have now. While there's breath in your lungs, there's opportunity. There's opportunity for every single one of us to stand up to every person that we encounter and everyone that we see. Do you know Jesus? What did, uh, what did Elliot say? It's all the way back to page one. We'll start over. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The greatest gift you have to the world today isn't even yours. He's Jesus Christ. And you cannot lose him, and you can give him to anybody you encounter by sharing the gospel, and it's the best decision, the best gift that anybody in the world, in all the world, could ever have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the best thing that we can do as a church. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I'm here to tell you, my friends, is this. There is no greater decision that you could ever make than to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. There is no shame. He loves you, and he wants to be personal. We have a personal God who wants to come down and wipe away your tears and to hold you in his arms. If you want to experience peace, there's only one peace, and that peace is through Jesus Christ. I implore you, come forward. Nothing stops us. If you're there today and you're thinking to yourself, I can't do it. It's too scary. I'm here to tell you, you can't do it, and it's too scary. But Christ inside of you will take over if you have the courage to open up your mouth on behalf of our Lord and Savior. I promise you, you will see magical things, which we don't say magical. You'll see spiritual things take place in, in that encounter if you have the courage and the faith to step up for Christ. I promise you, none of us are qualified. None of us are qualified. But there are wounded people all over the road. And it's the only tally at the end of the day that'll matter. Did you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And did you love your neighbor as yourself? All the law and all the prophets hinge on these two commands. Thank you again for listening to audio from Glamidas Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.